when it comes to writing, like I'm a rule freak. I'm an outline freak. I like structure. Like I will outline for way. Once I'm writing, I'm a I'm a fairly fast writer. I'm very confident in like putting out a completely garbage first draft. Like I think that's one of my strengths. Is I don't get aff- aff- afraid at all about bad pages. I have a lot of friends who are like really trying to like make that first draft beautiful and it's like I vomit this garbage out because I'm much better at editing. Welcome back to Nothing Shines Like Dirt, episode 60. I'm Leslie Shannon. And I'm Elise Sievert. Today we sit down with writer-director Hannah McPherson. We talk to her about her feature, Sick House, made on Snapchat, starring Andrea Russett. Her series, Tagged, on Hulu. And The The Psychology Psychology of Horror. I can't even imagine, like... Oh my gosh, me either. But it was different times. I know. Like, what boy is that important? Um, it's oh, there are still sisters, stealing sisters' boyfriends uh, these days. Yeah, I know. Trust me. I don't I don't have a sister. I only have brothers, so. And none of them are gay, so I didn't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Because if they were, then I probably would, since I have probably dated many a gay man. Um, <laughs> year, years of musical theater. Yeah. <laughs> Your brother's stealing a boyfriend. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he listens to the podcast, so if we actually like, include yes, this part, yes. he would love it. He, he, he'll call me the next time and be like, um... Hello. <laughs> like, oh, or boy. he'll be like, there's the one you don't know about. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Um, well, you know that one time. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's funny. No. What was growing up in New Mexico like? Oh, it was great. I mean, I definitely still use New Mexico as a setting in a lot of the things I think about writing-wise, and I direct tagged there. Um, because in a lot of ways, it feels sort of like everywhere USA but it has a very certain flavor in both like the landscape which is pretty bizarre because you know the southwest it's people are like oh it's the desert and it's like well it is but there's like a lot of types of desert like Albuquerque is actually a mile high like Denver it's the high desert so there's like and we have the tail end of the Rockies so there's these intense mountains but also very much like flat moonscape elements and then it's a it's a town like in that's like seen a lot of growth and changed a lot and also has like a lot of class disparity. So there's a lot of poverty and a lot of graffiti and a lot of sort of like parts of town that I think are like, it's like the Southwest Detroit, like um, stuff that's in various stages of rehabilitation, luckily, but like still abandoned buildings and those buildings are being turned into lofts or art spaces. Um, so it's, it's a great setting for like, I think sort of like, uh, uh, like the state of America, <laughs> like in a <laughs> place of reinvention and potential turmoil, mm-hmm. but it's got a great look. You write a lot of youth, like stories, centric stories. Is that inspiration from growing up or is that kind of things you observe as an adult now or? A little bit of both. I mean, I definitely loved being a teenager. I think a lot of people don't say that. And I really loved it. And I think a lot about that time period. It's just like everything is so high stakes, like everything is life or death. And all the things that you experience for the first time are so amazing. And so the, f- the relationships you form and the fights that you have and the, you know, it's it's just like growing pains. And then in the, through the lens of like what modern technology provides for teenagers in terms of a phone or um, being online – that to me is like all the fodder anyone needs for horror, suspense, thriller. 
Yeah, I mean, n- not to expose my age too much, but um, I we didn't have that when I was in high school. Thank God, because <laughs> mm-hmm. no. like we needed anything else to make it harder. Like I had enough rumors go on about me. I can't imagine oh if God. there were videos of things. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Even just to the level of stress. Like I was a fairly stressed out kid. I think. I think everyone is. And but and I had a very loving family, and my family would. Just, you know, on the weekends, it'd be like one night, spend one night with the family and go out one night, which I think made my parents very strict. But in hindsight is like probably why we're still so loving and I value family, you know, because they really made me make it a priority, which I just thought was super cruel. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think, uh, you know, I would on Monday be like, what did I miss on Saturday night? And if now I could open my phone and watch on 75 different friends Instagram stories or Snapchats exactly what I missed including whom my boyfriend of the time was trying to make out with in the background and things like that like I just think the ability to feel behind and have FOMO and and feel like it's just it's got to be excruciating I can't imagine yeah I can't imagine either I feel like a lot of the people um, who I know, because I've nannied and stuff, their kids are not quite to that age where they, but they're on the precipice of it and they're very strict with their technology, like how often they can use it and everything. And honestly, I'm sure that feels terrible. It will feel terrible to them as teenagers. But like you said, <laughs> oh, parents, you have such a hard job. Um, it's so much better for them because if you can learn to live in the now and not always thinking about what you're missing it's just so, it's so much of a better place to be in yeah but it is i'm sure going to feel like torture to any child who's being told to like i mean that's one of the characters in tagged her mom takes her phone away every night at 9 p.m. and she um basically drugs her mom every night she offers to make her tea or a smoothie and put sleeping pills in it and then takes her phone back and i just took that straight from the headlines that's that was really happening and the parents actually wanted the their kid to be tried as an adult and she almost killed her dad she gave him too much and actually she didn't she just wanted to be on facebook and they had like a no computer after nine rule pretty crazy that's crazy that a that a teenager would be like oh i could put drugs in my parents drinks and they won't I mean, my, my siblings and I always tease, like, my mom would take sleeping pills because she had trouble sleeping. We're like, well, we could sneak out of the house because she was, you know, yeah. knocked out. But that's the to, difference. for a kid to purposely, I mean, that was her as an adult deciding to, you know, take medication. That would have never crossed my mind. Well, good. That's good, <laughs> first of all. But I also think it's, it is, it's important to be, I, I think I sound like a, like a, oh, grandma when I'm like, <laughs> times were so much better. But like, worst, if I was going to drug my parents, it would absolutely have been to sneak out of the house. Yeah. And so it's bizarre that what, what someone does now is sit six feet away from the passed out parent and get online. And it's also like one of the other amazing statistics is that far fewer teenagers are having sex and they're losing their virginities much later than they used to because they're not leaving the house. It doesn't, they're sexting, they're probably sending nudes. Um, that is fascinating. Yeah, that and there's other creepy things that they, you know, they don't know who they're engaging in this behavior with on their phones and things like that or what, the, what their age is. You know, it's like yeah. they could be getting catfished and such. But, um, yeah, so there's like, it's just, it's pretty wild. Um, and I, I actually like... I'm nostalgic for a time when people went and got pregnant by accident. Like, get out of the house. Like, what are you doing? Connect with people. Yes. Yes. I wonder how that will even, like, change 
sexuality, like like using technology first in your sexuality instead of like making out and like maybe putting your hand up, you know, a girl's shirt or something, yeah. you know, like. Well, and we don't need to go deep into this, but I mean, absolutely, this younger generation is being raised on porn culture. Yes. And they're so inundated with videos that are not accurately how you have sex. Approach a woman yeah. when you're having sex or treat her while you're having sex. Uh, it's fascinating. I mean, 13, 12, 11-year-old boys don't understand that, um, you know, coming up like uh, approaching a girl from behind and grabbing her hair and like ripping her head back is the way to. Yeah, that's sexy. No, yeah. it's not. That's mm-hmm. that's not cool. Um, it's it's funny that you say that because I remember having a conversation with um, um, a young woman who is, is younger than me and I was doing a project with her and something and she was talking about how a friend of hers, um, like she has a couple different friends, men and women who don't enjoy actually having sex. They'd rather just watch porn and like take care of themselves because they know how to do it better and they know how to stimulate themselves in that way as opposed to people who, you know, and, and I kind of I was so flabbergasted by that. And I'm like, it's not about just the physical, you know, sensations. It's also about the connection with the other person. And when you're not used to having that connection because you're used to a screen, I can only imagine how, yeah, of course you feel more comfortable with that. <laughs> I mean, we are living in a Black Mirror episode. It's like, because that is what's happening is yeah. people, because I totally agree with you. And it's two separate things. Like, fine, masturbate and watch your porn. But that's a very different thing than having a loving, intimate relationship with someone. And we there is a pack of people under 20 who are not building the skills to have an intimate Mm. relationship that's not built on technology they just don't know how to do that Mm -hmm. well even the fact of they I mean I'm just thinking of my younger siblings they text instead of call like the simple thing of even with friends not even romantic you know Mm -hmm. partners of like not being able to have tough conversations or you know have to you know face somebody and talk about something and you can just text it that's even a skill of a loving relationship that they're not getting practice <laughs> yeah <laughs> eye contact yeah right. like that <laughs> mm-hmm. we're gonna have to start having like um uh technology anonymous or something call it like ta well that sounds like tits and ass um um but it's <laughs> <laughs> the first place my brain went um but yeah, we're going to have to have like <laughs> meetings that people are going to have to go to in order to learn how to to have emotional contact with another human being directly in front of them as opposed through the guise of a screen. Well, mm-hmm. what's also fascinating is in Silicon Valley, a lot of the schools are becoming screen free. So the people that are in charge of making the technology that we use understand its effects on us so, you know, are so strong that they're like, my kid is not, you know. Going to be around that in the school environment. Yeah. Amazing. Well, because there are schools, too, that have, like, so much technology in the school that the kid has to have their own computer, has to have their own iPad, has to have their own source of technology, or they get behind in their classes. And that's, like, a hard place to be because in one hand, it's great to be able to have that access so that it prepares them for the technology side of the world when they enter the job force. But at the same time, it's also it's setting them up for failure in personal relationships for sure. So clearly we see how you feel about technology, Mm -hmm. um, which I kind of love because it makes me feel less like an old lady. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Some solidarity in that. So talk about the process of um, creating like a whole film on Snapchat. 
Like what, what, how did you get that idea and what was the process like executing it? Well, I had been really interested in, I was on Snapchat a lot at right sort of as it was becoming popular uh, because I found it to be like the best way to watch teenagers in their natural environment. Mm. <laughs> um, and I actually probably like there's like so probably like my name is like red flagged CIA and FBI for how much I've watched kids Teenagers. under 18. Yeah. And I've seen some scary stuff. I'm sure. Um, I basically just started, you know, found someone on Twitter who posted their Snapchat name and then started following all their friends. And so pretty soon I was in this world on Snapchat where I would know like who Sarah was going out with that night and I could follow his account and see him tell a friend that he was dating both Sarah and Leslie and I could see Leslie's thing and what she was doing for the party and um, it just really so there was this idea that I was just thinking about how great um, some sort of scripted situation could live on Snapchat that people didn't know was scripted and I was absolutely that 16 17 year olds in the theater opening night of Blair Witch Project not certain if it was a documentary or not. I mean, the marketing up leading up to that was so genius about these missing kids and this found footage. And like, I think I'm hope that most of my brain knew that it was not real, but part of me wanted to believe that it was real footage or I would, and I also, we just hadn't seen found footage films yet, but you know, before. So part of me thought like maybe some of it was real footage. And then, you know, I just remember that screen coming up and like these canisters were found in the woods and like the people have never been found and I we can't as filmmakers scare people or sneak up on them in the same way with found footage because now everyone's so savvy about found footage um, but I had been meeting with this production company Indigenous Media who's very like they're very cool about they the they do this thing called 60 second documentaries on 60 second docs it's on instagram so they're really thinking about what are the avenues what are the platforms for streaming and for content that are really right at our fingertips and like now there's so people are like especially teenagers but everyone is watching everything on their phones i mean i would say most people under 22 are watching even like house of cards on their phones they, their netflix accounts are on their phones um and so it felt like we we started spitballing what could we do on Snapchat and not tell anyone it was a narrative and drop like basically five days of a horror film into someone's lap. So we cast this incredible YouTuber, Andrea Russett, who has just millions and millions of followers across all her platforms. And um, she got on board. She knew that her fans, we, we struggled because a lot of people didn't want to mislead their fans in this way, but she knew that her fans would love it and they would be the type of fans who afterwards would be like, we were on that ride first. like, And so she was a great collaborator and um, it was loosely scripted. The, the plot was scripted. We shot it over five days on an iPhone through, through Snapchat on her accounts and posted it live. So very different than any other movie making experience because we obviously right. you didn't learn that in film school. <laughs> no, <laughs> shot in real time, shot in order. Snapchat limits you to a ten second clip. Um, so and and um, we did monkey around with those. There's some things that some YouTubers have taught me and that they use, especially the ones who are very famous. They'll go to the Beverly Center and they put their phone in airplane mode and they shoot 
some things and then they don't post they take their phone out of airplane mode when they get home and then the things upload so that they're not actually still there when their fans see them and their fans don't rush to the Beverly Center so we that was the only way to really sort of adjust performance or takes was to like shoot a couple in airplane mode and then delete the ones we didn't want to upload and then upload but mostly we were just uploading batches we were also like in the woods for a good portion of it where there wasn't a lot of service so we would upload these batches um so basically that the premise was andrea russett's cousin is coming to town uh we cast the cousin she was a real actress laney neal um and we cast a couple friends who are actually andrea's friends in real life some of them are influencers some of them are actors and planned this camping trip for them all to go on and then i mean honestly it's it's like my tribute to blair Witch. there's nothing that original about it um it's you know these kids go on a camping trip they're snapchatting it they get lost they start to fight and that has always been the most fascinating thing to me about blair Witch. Is you see these characters basically dissolve um under pressure and and with anxiety and the amazing thing that's very cool that people really glommed onto about sick house which is this snapchat movie is they will not stop snapping so andrea's cousin becomes obsessed with the fact that every time she uploads a snap almost a million people were opening it within 10 minutes which is really what like at the height of us posting there were almost a million opens per snap every like within 10 minutes of posting it and so she can't stop documenting even the like terror as it that's like the hook is like put your phone down save your life and so the most fun part as people started to figure out on twitter like this is this has got to be fake this is really fun what's happening is they're like we are so addicted to our phones that we will die before we put our phones away basically (laughs) which is a really good story (laughs) well i mean you've read the or seen news articles and um and and things about people falling off of stuff trying to take a damn selfie yeah like or driving into ditches because they're just like following their phone mindlessly Mm -hmm. you know like like Oh, it makes me think of Wally too, like the oh, yeah. the screens, Whoa, yeah. yeah, like right in front of oh, your yeah. face, and mm-hmm. that's the most important thing. And yep, wow, that's fascinating. That is so incredible. All, that's really cool that she was on board with that, especially because that's how she, that's how she kind of makes her living, and yet she's also was okay with commenting on how she makes her living. Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. Yeah, she's very, like, self-aware, and it, we knew it was going to take the right type of person. Um, and she is excited to sort of push the boundaries and do, like, disruptive type things like that. And she was right. Like, her fans are a certain also type of people who never held that against her. Like, they thought this is awesome, is, right? Well, also because, you know, snaps disappear within 24 hours of posting. So by the time some people were catching on, they had missed the beginning of the story, which is also why we then packaged it and it's first, you know, you can buy it on iTunes or um, Vimeo, but you have to watch it vertically. Like we shot it. It was a big discussion in prep because I was like, there is not a teenager on the planet who shoots these things horizontally. And it's actually, um, you know, it became also a conversation in post and afterwards because it's hard to sell a movie that was shot vertically. There's so much black on screen on the left and right. So like, you're probably never going to see that in a theatrical release, which is unfortunate. Um, but I don't know. Give it another three, four years. I, yeah, like maybe. that. Yeah. What when I was watching the trailer, I was like, "This is how 
this generation consumes. Like, they're going to watch movies. Like, when we watch movies from the 50s and it was, like, filmed like theater and we're like, that's not how you, you know. Now now there's there's philosophy behind how you shoot a movie. Like, they might look at those and be like, what? Like, not get it because the, yep. it's, like, quick. It's, like, an attention thing and it's how they are constantly consuming. Yeah. I mean, I, I have mixed feeling. I th- I definitely thought about it a lot because I thought a lot about the psychology of a vertical frame versus a horizontal frame specifically for horror. Like, I cannot remember who said this, and it's really embarrassing that I think it was either Orson Welles or Hitchcock because that just seems super lame. But (laughs) one of them, I think, or maybe someone else, said uh, it was like as frames were getting wider and wider and wider, and they were like, the wide angle is only good for snakes and coffins. And that's very funny to me. And it, sometimes it does seem like we're getting sort of ridiculous how wide the frame is getting. But here's some reasons I think it works well is it's how our eyes are built. There are two, we have two eyes next to each other. We don't have two eyes on top of each other. It's how we actually see things is in that shape. Mm-hmm. And and for suspense, and this, is, this, this can actually work both ways, but you're dealing a lot with the sides of the frame, right? Like what is immediately to the left or right of what is seeable? And so when you've squished that by a long shot, in some cases it was scarier because you really don't know is what is just a little bit to the left or the right. In some ways I thought it, especially the 10-second clip aspect, makes it harder to create suspense because you're not playing in some ways with as much – unless you had like flying monkeys that might be coming from like the top of the frame, you don't sort of have as much real estate to play with in terms of like – what's coming up behind her, mm-hmm. what's off in the distance. Mm-hmm. But it's like tunnel vision yeah. when you have it that way, which is scary. It's really funny. I've never really thought about that, but with horror, you're right. Wide shots are so good because then you can see something. That's part of what the suspense is. You can see something in the distance that the, the character in the frame doesn't see yet. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that that's really, you're like, oh no, look out. Yeah. Um, so that's super interesting. I wouldn't have thought. Working in that. these like parameters of like, the vertical screen and the 10 seconds, how do you think that's influenced like your filmmaking going forward? Uh, I don't know that it has actually. Okay. It felt to me that it was a challenge for a lot of reasons. And so those challenges just made me very grateful for when I no longer had to (laughs) only have 10 second clips. I actually think the vertical thing is very interesting. I think you're actually probably right. I wouldn't be surprised if we have TVs that will spin eventually and you watch some things horizontal and you spin mm-hmm. them and you watch them vertical. Because mm-hmm. I think just the nature of where we're headed or or there'll be just different aspect ratios probably. Who knows? But I do think – so everyone should start thinking that way. like, Or at least that the story in some ways should merit what you're what, doing. Yeah. You know, yeah. what, what, what you're using to shoot and why. That there's a lot more freedom in that, which is cool. So what is it that that draws you to, because a lot of your stuff has a horror suspense, um, you know, thriller feel to it. In particular, what is it that draws you to that genre? I mean, I really love being scared. Like, I love going on roller coasters. <laughs> I like that feeling in your stomach. So it's, it's a lot of what I like to watch from a young age, which I'm definitely like the black sheep in my family. My mom and sister literally get so scared they think it's like like they must have done something bad in a past life to has have me as a family member because they have to watch the things i make um 
<laughs> but I also, I mean, I think what I've learned as I really have been digging deep into story and theme and the stories that I want to tell is that when you scare people, you just have an ability to sort of hit them over the head with a message in a way that feels much less heavy-handed. I mean, obviously everyone's talking about Get Out still and these sort of like socially conscious, elevated horror movies that um, are very scary but also very smart and make you think that I'm not a blood and guts person. I'm not like a slasher movie person. I like suspense thriller. I like um, sort of psychological dark things. And I think that when you're holding your breath and freaking out, it's such a visceral experience um, that afterwards you can have sort of ingested something that you would have maybe just laughed off if it was in a drama or if it was in a comedy, you would have said like, oh, that's too on the nose. And and you can have this sort of like sh shoved down your throat. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, they say that it's, you know, fear is one of those things, too, that's so ingrained in us. It's part of our survival that is, is built into our DNA as human beings. And so if you're able to trigger that feeling, then, of course, people are going to take something away because it's a part of us that's that's so unconscious that we don't even think about how much it dictates because I mean so much of what we're going through I think in our country right now is people are scared of things and they're finally talking about the fact that they're scared of them and that's and and we didn't realize before how ingrained that was and so it does play such a big part in human nature mm -hmm. that horror is really great in that way what are um, some horror films or horror filmmakers that have influenced you like, what are some of your favorites? My favorite horror movie of all time is probably The Ring. I think it's so scary, but very simple. That I was mean, the first scary movie I saw. Really? <laughs> Bless you. That terrified and me. And I was turned off from, from, I like, but I do like thrillers. Like, The Butterfly Effect. I was like, that movie was so fucked up, but I was like, obsessed with it because it like made you think. yeah so smart yeah and you have to sort of like have to go back, back and watch the layers the of now. like yeah well and it also really makes you ultimately think about the things you do because mm -hmm. everything you do has this butterfly effect i mean the ring is about motherhood like that's the whole you know it has a very simple arc she the first time you see naomi Watts, she is late picking up her child who you get the impression often sits at school for an additional 15 minutes she's on the phone pissed because she's an investigative journalist how fascinating so then she has to investigate her niece's death bizarre death right but it's very clinical for her and and even she watches the tape and doesn't care and the tape is so brilliant this ticking clock of seven days like all the constructs in that movie are just beautifully as, like put together as a writer and then at the midpoint you know her son watches and all of a sudden now there's real stakes and she will do anything including die to become a good mother um first to samara she thinks if i you know give her a proper burial this poor girl her parents kept her locked in a you know weird barn um but that's not the problem is and tomorrow's the problem you know so by becoming a good mother and giving her a proper burial she's actually unleashed her and she pays those prices because her anyway it's just <laughs> really good i have to go back and watch it now because it's really good <laughs> It's super good. It's really scary. I remember watching it and then having to sleep with my brother after watching yeah. it because I was so scared. Yeah, yeah and if you go through and you watch the scares, like if you, like, I have done this clearly, you just write down the scares 
they're very simple. It's like we're going to show you a tape that has some sort of um, like bizarrely horrifying images. They're not like bloody or gross, but they're creepy. And then we'll show it to you enough that you'll know this fly is in the corner. And at one point, Naomi Watts reaches and pulls the fly. The fly becomes 3D and is on the TV and she pulls it out. It's like so eerie. I mean, it's some uncanny valley stuff. And that's like, that's where I live and die. And I think that's the stuff that makes us uh, really sit on the edge of our seats is you look back and you're like, actually, no one ever died except, you know, we have the niece's death in the beginning, which you don't even see until later in a flashback. And then you have uh, the weird dad at the farm who um, electrocutes himself. And then you, and then at the end, her ex, ex-boyfriend or whatever dies. And they don't show that either until later. So it's just very carefully, you're like, you walk away and you're like, that movie was horrifying. I'm going to have nightmares. And then you're like, what? It wasn't scary because of what you saw. It's scary because of what you didn't, didn't see. see. And it's just mm. so well done. Mm-hmm. But I love like, you know, The Shining is amazing. The Shining is sort of amazing to me visually. It's less compelling story-wise because I still can't figure out what fucking happens. Yeah, I, don't either. I think that every time I, I think, okay, I'm going to understand it this time. Nope. Nope. Sure don't. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I do like learn new things about myself watching it again <laughs> once a decade, but I, I don't uh, understand it anymore. And then I love like, I uh, have a friend who's a really big James Wan fan. So we wa- we watched the conjuring a lot and insidious and i really think a lot of what he does is amazing i'm not like fully in the camp but i think those things are also good to have those discussions with friends i love his practical horror like that someone is playing the ghost it's not a cgi ghost it's a woman in a white nightgown who just walked through the room but you know no one should be in that room and it's terrifying then once i get into like these like really close-ups of like um you know people with white powdered face makeup on he loses me a little bit but it's cool because then you're like, okay, this is what I want my work to look like and this is what I don't want it to look like. And that's like the best you – he's a brilliant. So this is more about me than it is about him. He, he's doing things right. Mm-hmm. So That's really interesting. So how do you approach writing for situations like this? Because I know that um, with the Snapchat you said it was, it was like loosely scripted. Um, is that the way you tend to like to work or do you – like for Tagged, was that a different process? Yeah. I mean I – Sick House was different in so many ways because because of the nature of what we were doing on um, Snapchat and telling it in real time and working with mostly non-actors. So there was no sense in them memorizing lines or anything like that. Um, Tagged is is very different. Tagged was originally a one-hour TV pilot that I, uh, I was really fascinated with his idea of like what if you were a teenage girl who was tagged in a video of another teenage girl being murdered. This girl's shot with a shotgun on camera. Three girls are tagged in the video, which is put up online. No adults believe them. They think it's a fake video because there's a lot of fake violence online. And I just, that hooked me. Like, what if you were tagged in this video and this person is coming after you? And he knows all of your secrets because you overpost, just like everyone overshares. And so he can use them against you. And so, but I'm a, in when it comes to writing, like I'm a, rule freak I'm an outline freak I like structure like I will outline from way once I'm writing I'm a I'm a fairly fast writer I'm very confident in like putting out a completely garbage first draft like I think that's one of my strengths I don't get a 
afraid at all about bad pages. I have a lot of friends who are like really trying to like make that first draft beautiful. And it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I vomit this mm-hmm. garbage out because I'm much better at editing. So but for me, if the outline has problems, I just won't move to pages. I won't. And I've actually like I probably sometimes have spent too much time in the outline. But for both TV and film, that's how I work. So, I mean, in Tagged, I write and direct all 12 half hours of the of season two and season three. Season one was eight half hours. Um, so it's a, I don't have a writer's room. I do it with, I have producers who are very helpful and very collaborative, but they're, um, you know, we sort of brainstorm in the beginning and then they give notes on drafts. But if I don't have that outlined to the beat for all these stories to be unraveling, I would fall apart in the draft. It ends up being like a 200-page script. So it's just uh, very intense it's and we write it very that it's fast. It's all you. Because yeah, most TV shows have, yeah, have a writer's like, room. You know, yeah, like writer's room the writer, like, creator does the, the pilot and then you hire staff. So that's incredible. It's the nature of, because this, so this wasn't, when it was written as an hour-long pilot, um, it, it was being looked at by some people who wanted me to sort of skew it older because they just didn't have a young enough demographic. They didn't think they could distribute it to a young enough demographic to work for these 15, 16-year-old lead characters. But I don't think it's scary if like a 21-year-old is sexting. It's only really scary if it's like a 15-year-old. And so um, Awesomeness TV read the script, but they had not really started doing anything long form. They were a YouTube channel. They're one of the first YouTube channels. And so they wanted sort of 12 to 15 minute episodes. So I ended up sort of just breaking it up by acts. And um, so the, the, what was the one hour pilot became the first three episodes and then, um, and then writing nine more. So it was 12 short form episodes very quickly became eight half hours because they wanted to sell it internationally and then sold it to Hulu. And so now it's their half hour Hulu show, which they're doing more and more long form content now in the half hour and, you know, hopefully soon longer range but I think that if it hadn't happened that way where they thought they were hiring me to do a YouTube show and then this turnaround schedule and that by the time we were in season two and season three the turnaround is so fast that to sort of get everyone caught up and and run a writer's room which I have not done uh it just didn't seem mm-hmm. like actually smart for the time mm-hmm. I think it I I love the idea of a writer's room and I think um there's a reason shows do it, and I would benefit from having had some collaboration because it's very hard to stay fresh on storylines for with these characters. You keep for everything long. straight. You yeah, know, like sometimes I have to go back to my outlines over and over, and just remember because you throw out so many ideas, and you're like, wait, what was the best decision of where to go next? You yeah, know? I mean, I've always had such a vision for this show, and I've always cared about these characters so so deeply that. I think uh, it is very efficient for me to do it. I'm sure cost-wise, they uh, save a lot of a money. A lot of money. <laughs> um, well, and not even just the writing room, but also directing all the episodes yourself, because that's not typical. That's a super like atypical thing for television. They usually like maybe someone will direct a couple episodes, but not more than that. Yeah, and that's where I think I'm super lucky because I love. I feel so fortunate that I have that sort of awesomeness trusts me a lot I trust them they give me a lot of autonomy I go and shoot it in New Mexico with the crew that I worked with for 10 years on short films and music videos and we all get a paycheck which is so rewarding and um it's you know it's intense because I come from an indie background and these are the people that we run and gunned with while eating you know like cold pizza and 
now it's very different. Like um, tag dessert, you know, we have trailers and craft service and um, that's very cool, but we still move fast. We are shooting a really high page count and to put out, tw- when I tell people that we do 12 half hours in 31 days, I mean, that's just insane. Yeah. That is insane. It's hard on everyone. Like we shoot the, like, you know, let's say that 10 out of the 12 episodes have high school days in them where they're, where they're in class or in the hallways. And we'll just have the, it's the reason it's cost efficient is because we'll go to the high school for three days. So those actors are doing work from nine episodes of a very emotional, scary journey down to they're usually like tired by the end of, so makeup wise, they have to go from exhausted to crying to tired to, oh, it's episode one. So they need to like, they look good. And it's just, it's, I mean, it's, I have like one of the most powerhouse ADs on the planet. I was just going to say your schedule. Yeah. (laughs) Person has to be amazing. 80s man. Yeah, Chelsea Donison. <laughs> she has saved us. Oh, yeah. Chelsea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How is um, directing actors who have to jump in story so much in shooting? Oh, uh, what's your advice for? I mean, getting them to where they need to be. That I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there because it's about it's about two things. I would say is one is prep, me like my work and their work. Um, and then the other element is trust. So I work with um, actor like the two leads are very homework heavy, which I love, like which I'm the same way. So they really they've read the script a hundred times by the time they show up on set. They've done a lot of prep work. If I can, I don't have time really for rehearsals throughout, but I just every season have begged for more and more rehearsal time up front it's hard because we're in new mexico and so um i can never get the whole group together but if i can at least get my lead actors and actresses together for a couple days up front so that we can just read through the script talk about the sort of the emotional calibration of every scene and and then we have a shorthand together of like you know we're even we can even be looking at the schedule and be like you're gonna have to go from this which let's call it a seven to this which is a nine and we know sort of our ins and outs of the scene in that way um, and then they have to trust me a lot and they, they, I have earned that after three seasons, but, um, I were, uh, I have been very lucky for the actors I've worked with. Um, but they're a lot like me where they're very cerebral. Some of them are more cerebral than others. Some are very good at living in the moment, but I have a couple actors where I'm always like, we've talked about it a lot. Cause they're like, it's hard. Sometimes you're on set and the director's not helping you out at all. So you learn to direct yourself. But with me, like I, I need you to just live in the moment. I will help you. I will get you there. I'll make sure that we have it like calibrated to the right place. If you just trust me, stop overthinking this. Mm-hmm. And then when they relax, we can get there. And I also, I worked in editing for a long time. So I'm like, I need this three different ways. Like I need it hotter. I need it softer and we'll have it. We'll yeah. totally have it. I like working with directors like that, where it's not trying to be a robot the same. Yeah. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense, and the edi- like editors have to hate that, so. No, it's, there's, obviously, there are actors who are very good at that, and there's times when it's important, uh, like, especially in big, like, ensemble scenes where you're like, thank God that guy said that line weirdly exactly the same seven times because he's easy to cut around. But when you're the focus of the scene, and, like, I, that's why I like film versus theater in some ways I'm not very I shouldn't even compare them because I don't know what I'm talking about but (laughs) I'm never I used to think you were chasing the perfect take and that is not what I'm doing I'm looking for several options because we're going to make this show in the edit bay (laughs) and I know roughly I know 
specifically what I'm looking for, but also the best actors surprise me. And if I didn't give them room to feel like, okay, we've got that, let's try something just for you, or let's try it this way, you know, what the fuck's the point? Mm -hmm. Well, as an actor, we appreciate that. Oh, good. <laughs> like, yeah. it's nice to be able to play, because if you do feel like you have to do things exactly the same way over and over again, it, it feels, it's heavy, and it doesn't give you that freeness as to part of the reason why you do it in the first place. Mm -hmm. Well, it takes away the authenticness and the living in the moment and that's the gold that you want to get on camera is that just being in the moment well it's also like if I was going to have a if I was ever going to relive a scene of my life like a fight with a boyfriend or something I wouldn't do it the same it, it's impossible so it's like uh, and I look obviously you guys know this better than me but there are and I've been in the edit bay when I was cursing the actor like you have to do certain things the same way yeah and I don't that's why Fun. it's like what <laughs> what the best actors do blows my mind because there's a certain level of like hitting your mark and using your left hand to do that thing at that point and also saying staying so fresh that there's these moments of authentic surprise you know that's beautiful that's yeah you're right it's 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 a skill people it's a skill <laughs> Are there any projects that you're working on right now that you can share or talk yeah, about? Or I was going to ask that too. Yay. Um, I am developing another TV show with Awesomeness TV, which is a, a horror television show for about teenagers. No surprise there. In some ways, it's scarier than Tagged because it lives in a supernatural place, which I'm excited to explore. And I also am I'm pushing for it to be longer formed, for it to be their first hour-long show, um, which I think would be really cool. So it's in the early stages, but I think it's fun to um, talk about why horror works in movies and hasn't worked super successfully in TV. Like, I think um, there's a certain amount of – obviously, there's a lot of TV shows that have great suspense and tension and, and have a thriller aspect, but true, like – horror like I think one show that worked really well is there's just the first season of American Horror Story I don't know if you guys saw that nope too scary for me yeah <laughs> it's it's a great premise it's a haunted it's essentially a haunted house show Connie Britton and her family move into this house that's famously haunted and you come to love that family so much um which obviously is what most what makes most horror work and they have so many complicated problems like they've, they've moved to this house post and a transgression the husband has like cheated on the wife and you're sort of rooting for them and then the ghosts they invented are like incredibly terrifying and fascinating there's a maid who they think comes with the house like uh that the couple just they bought this huge amazing house i don't know why you would actually think a maid came with the house but the mother connie Britton, sees her as basically like an old woman like an 80 year old nice kind woman and the husband sees her as this really hot um, made wearing way too short of a skirt who's always flirting with him and touching him and he's like at, he's like are you sure you're okay with this like we could fire her and she's like no we need the help and it plays so deep into their problems but it's also it's I've never seen anything like that where they play it like the perspective yeah like, and they play it so straight literally you, it's just and you know it's a, both actually both actresses are great actresses who play the two parts of the maid and that's all done in the editing. It's just like which one is seeing her at the time. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, and then there's this other the, one of the, the most famous ghost of that season is Rubber Man, which there's a they find a latex suit in the attic and they keep teasing each other about like should they fool around with the latex suit? And then um, this guy wearing the latex suit comes to her at night and she has sex with him, 
and thinking then she, it's her thinking it's her husband, husband because it's one of those latex suits that literally covers your entire body so you can't even speak like your face is rubber and and then she's pregnant and it's like she has, she has, gives birth to a demon child at the end of the season but it's just like and the whole the whole family dies like everyone it's just like I won't, and also now I don't know why I'm just like telling every no, detail of everything ever. No, I won't say spoiler fascinating. Alert. Yeah, <laughs> but there's a teen romance in that season that blew my mind. That one I, I just don't want to say anything more about it. Mm-hmm. But where you're like you're, my, I thought that I'd seen everything in horror and I haven't. And I don't mean like blood and guts. I mean literally mind fucked. Where you're like I did not see that coming. I couldn't have guessed that. This is so tragic and so sad and so beautiful. And so that's my goal is to sort of figure out how you can suspend that type of terror episode to episode. Um, so. I, I can't imagine like approaching that as a writer, like the twists that you, like there's already twists you have to have in your writing to keep it engaging, especially in television. But like how to, I don't know if you have any insight on that, like finding those ways to build tension and scare people without anyone seeing it coming. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, why I think of that as an interesting study for it. And actually, you know, now they're in, like, their 10th season, and I I sort of fell off after Freak Show, and there was, like, Asylum, because they started to rely too hev- heavily on shock and, and blood and sort of uh, torture porn uh-huh. for me. Uh-huh. Um, but because I think what worked so well in the first season, and to your point, is... Some of the best horror movies, like even The Ring, the build, 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 something happens or build, 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 nothing happens will become tedious in a television show. That's the big difference is you can do that for 100 minutes, especially the way people binge content now. If people are going to sit down and watch three hours of that, you've lost the ability to sort of stretch that. And so what that first season did is they stopped using that as a model for what is horrifying and they just started playing scenarios that are uncanny very straight so like rubber man becomes a character as if it's a drama but it's horrifying because we know he's not who she thinks he is so sort of slowing down some of the the expectations and then the ability to still have these jump scares but placing them in places that are complete you know not Mm -hmm. building towards them at the end of an act break or at the end of an episode but placing them up top or in the middle I think that that's sort of, it's like subverting Mm -hmm. expectation is the Mm -hmm. only way to do it. Mm -hmm. And ultimately making the characters so relatable or lovable that, that, that you will put yourself in their shoes and therefore feel their terror. To watch that now too. I'm not a horror fan, but I'm, you're making me very intrigued. I'm not either, but it's mainly because my imagination is entirely too vivid, and so I will see those things <laughs> in the room with me after, as I'm like getting there, sitting in bed, you know, trying to, or laying down, trying to close my eyes. I'll open up and I'll see flashes of things, and I don't know. I feel like too connected to the whatever lives in that other realm of existence uh, that I I don't know my imagination just runs away with me I think too it's like the intelligence behind some of it is so fascinating to me versus the like blood and guts of like Mm -hmm. 
we're going to stab this guy and that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really scary. You right. know, it's just like, I don't want to see that. Yeah, right. that stuff never scared me. The yeah. stuff, that I, I agree with you in the fact that the things that I find really terrifying is playing upon what your fears are as, as a human and just like showing just enough but not too much that your imagination, because clearly it's what keeps me from watching too much horror, um, it, it, that's what keeps you viewing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for me, a lot of times, um, violence... It's just we've become so desensitized to it as a nation and it's so real that it it actually freaks me out more. It's not that I don't uh, – I mean I don't like it, but it's not that it doesn't scare me. Um, it's that it actually scares me worse. Like I really liked the – I started watching the Kevin Bacon show The Following mm-hmm. and I thought the premise was so cool that the serial killer from inside jail is like using his fans to – perpetuate his crimes while wearing a mask of his face which is i just think masks are so i have a lot of masks in in my things always <laughs> um but that is a stabby show like that's how he used the serial killer used to kill people and that's how all his fans kill people is stabby and they just lean into close-up of stabbing and that to me like becomes so gratuitous that and so painful to watch because it happens all the time that it's like, to me, it loses sort of like its power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, oh my gosh, this is such a good. I know. Such I, a good. You've, you've, you're open. You're making me want to watch more horror now. <laughs> yeah, go do it. Just keep the lights on and there we have go. A friend. That's, yeah, <laughs> have exactly. a buddy. That's yeah. exactly it. Have I always think it's like good to have like a lot of snacks too. Like if I you have like a lot that. of snacks, it's helpful. Oh, Elise, <laughs> you haven't asked your favorite question. Um, do you have any? Um, passion or like a passion project if someone was like here's unlimited amounts of funds that you want to make like whether it's venturing more into sci-fi having you know more money more time more crew so interesting I actually I'm writing a feature script that is a elevated horror movie that would require some more money mm-hmm. and that would be awesome but I think um, ultimately I'm hoping to just get to do what I want I don't know if that's a good answer but the no. things that I want to do don't really require more money mm-hmm. they just require someone letting me go do it <laughs> <laughs> I like it I like, I like it, it. where can people find you online uh, I'm on Instagram which I have a very weird Instagram name. And that's sort of the, I think, the most fun place to, I post the most frequently there. And when I'm on set, I post a lot. Um, but my name on there is Schwarmi, with, which is S-H-O-A-R-M-I-E. Couldn't tell you why. Great. <laughs> and uh, then I'm on Twitter as well, Hannah E. Mac. And I, I like to tweet. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for educating us on horror and taking the time to sit and talk about your awesome, inventive and creative projects. Um, It's really inspiring to to see and listen to. So I hope you guys enjoy because I know we did. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.